Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your sweet tooth host, Hobby. Mm. What is that? I'm, I'm just talking about how sweet I am because of the movie we're watching. Anyway, the movie we will be talking about today is Candyman. But before we begin, I just want to say thank you for everyone that has listened and downloaded and checked out our 50th episode. I'm hearing some great fan feedback. A lot of people really like uh, what I was calling our uh, Watch Mojo episode, which is just pretty much a list, uh, the list episode of all our underrated movies or movies we wanted to give more shine to. Um, a lot of people really liked our E.T. and our From Dust Till Dawn segments, which are two movies I never thought would be paired. <laughs> So yeah, I'm hoping we can do something like that more often. We're obviously not going to change the format of the podcast, but you know, maybe once so often we can break from the norm to do one of these kinds of episodes. Sometimes we'll tease you and give you guys something nice to enjoy. And... Well, this is kind of what we did this week, right? I mean, this week originally we were going to be doing Moonraker, but <laughs> oh, thank God. time to date the podcast. Uh, what's it called? The release date for No Time to Die has been pushed back to November of this year from yeah. April uh, due to concerns over the coronavirus. Really? Versus... Is that what it was? Yeah. I thought a... they just didn't want their shit to get kicked in by Wonder Woman 84. No, it's, a, it's, it's, it's legitimately a coronavirus thing. And, you know, at, at the time that we're recording this, like... Today it was announced that South by Southwest is canceled this year. Yeah, and uh, you know that's that's a pretty big deal. Uh, there was a rave. Uh, I think Ultra was canceled. I'm actually supposed to go to a rave in like two weeks. I'm supposed to go to Beyond Wonderland. Um, that might get canceled yeah. or at least postponed. So we're we're li- pretty much you guys. We're living through a pandemic, but don't freak out. I'm going to use my platform to tell you, chances are, if you're between the ages of, like, 14 and 50, you're just going to get a really bad flu if you were to get infected. It's everyone else. Otherwise, I mean, just keep washing your hands, y'all. Like, wash your hands, cover your mouth when you sneeze, don't be dicks, you know? And also, don't use coronavirus as an excuse to be a racist asshole. Like... Oh, sweet Jesus. Yeah, please, don't... Like... All right. Don't be dicks. Just (laughs) listen to Javi. Don't be dicks. You know what? Racism is unfortunately a good segue to where we're going this week because this week. (laughs) Did you just use racism as a segue to talk about Candyman? (laughs) Yeah, I I really did. I really did. (laughs) And there's several reasons why I did that. You mean aside from the very like obvious one where Tony Todd plays a, a a slave, the ghost of a slave? The ghost of a slave's son, but yes. Is that what it was? Yeah. I thought yeah. he was born into slavery, too. No, then... he's a descendant of a slave. He was He's essentially an aristocrat. That's what they say oh. in this movie. Um, but before we get there, <laughs> part of the reason why we did want to revisit Candyman is uh, we did post on our Instagram last week uh, when the, the poster of Candyman, when the trailer came out for the Jordan Peele produced but Nia DaCosta directed film. Oh yeah, we were really gonna do Moonraker, then Jordan Peele said, you bitch, you thought, and like, <laughs> dropped one of the fucking biggest bombs ever. Yeah, so I wanted to use at least this opening segment before we actually start talking about the movie. There's this gonna be a lot of, like, segues into this before we actually get to the film, but... Yeah, people like the banter. <laughs> but, um, in the original days of the podcast, I never got to do the episode on the Twilight Zone series, 
But uh, the Twilight Zone series, because it was produced by Jordan Peele, I was very into. We did Us in the early days of the podcast as well. And eventually I would like to get to Get Out at some point. But yeah. I think we'll get there. <laughs> but one of the things I do appreciate is I think that Jordan Peele is one of those great new... new not directors, because this movie's not directed by him, but he is one of those great horror minds, right. I guess is the better way to exactly. put it. Exactly. No, absolutely, because now that he's uh, got two really, you know, critically acclaimed films to his name in the horror genre, now he's almost going into the Spielberg aspect where he's, like, producing other films that kind of feel like films he directed, mm-hmm. but are also bringing you new directors that you hadn't seen before. Yeah, because he's producing this film, the 2020 Candyman, and also I think he's got Antebellum coming out in the summer, mm-hmm. which also looks like... He's single-handedly spearheading this, like, black horror genre, and it's pretty fucking rad, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, and it's... And, 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 and part of why I brought that, not only is, you know, I, I feel like this new Candyman is definitely going to play a lot on the theme of gentrification. Uh, because this week's film, the 1992 Candyman, mostly takes place in the Chicago neighborhood of Cabrini Green, the mm-hmm. projects, right? Which were uh, essentially demolished in 2011. Mm-hmm. This is, it, it is... Uh, Wait, Cabrini Green was an actual housing project? Absolutely. Well, I mean, like, I know the, ha- the the place they filmed was an actual housing project. I didn't know it was actually named Cabrini Green. Like, yeah, Cabrini Green is an actual housing project in Chicago. Um, oh, man, that before, so much better. Yeah, no, decades before this, uh, this movie, it was, like, the exteriors of the housing project were actually used as the exterior of the houses in good times. Mm. Uh, because the characters there also lived in Cabrini Green. Gosh, um, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, and I think one of the things about it, too, is in the research that I did for this film, I watched some documentaries in the 1980s, and, you know, I, this is one of the more infamous, like, housing projects in the world, but, you know, people... I know plenty of people who have grown up in projects in San Francisco, and they're not too dissimilar in that a lot of these buildings are... A lot of these are, yeah, decrepit, well, decrepit, yes, but they're essentially, like, it's one of those things with housing projects where the sad thing about them is because it's public housing and because of the demographic that's there, you know, because, again, the friends that I have are Latin, they are not, it's not exclusively black, but let's be honest, like, black and non-black people of color, like, (laughs) it's, 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 it's one of those things where it's, because it's not white affluent people that live there, people are left in squalor for the most part. Like I live in a I live in a condominium complex. If something is wrong in our complex, like for example, landscaping that needs to get done, the pool that needs to get maintained, we pour money into that. I fucking hate having to pay homeowner association dues. <laughs> But it is. When, when the pool is on the fritz, we call the pool person to come fix it. And they come in their jalopies <laughs> but, while I spit at them. But no, I mean, like, it, it, it's the thing with housing projects is it, it's, it's shocking how awfully maintained these places are. Specifically Cabrini Green, right? Like, Cabrini Green is one of those places where, much like the neighborhoods that we talked about when we talked about Joker, Mm -hmm. like, there was times where there was garbage disputes or just not, and people were, like, living in garbage. 
Um, the the documentary that I was watching, you know, I'm sure it was sensational, but but let's be clear, it's you know, it was a dangerous environment that 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 they were that they were showing for the sake of a documentary. And even though it was, it felt a little exploitative while I was watching it on YouTube, because mm -hmm. this YouTube documentary from the '80s. Um, well, it was a news story from the '80s that was oh. posted on YouTube, and. Um, it was done like an expose? Yeah, it was done like an expose. And we and, all know those aren't exploitative right. or anything. And, and, and you know, it's, it is it is true. Like, I mean, like, that they would talk about how even the elevators were dangerous in this place. And if you see it, I mean, it's intimidating when you see it in the movie. These giant brick buildings. Like, they mm -hmm. are huge. And they're essentially, like, run by gangs, right? Like, gangs would run all the different buildings in the housing project. Um, and, you know, they, they, during the expose, somebody even got stabbed in an elevator That's as they were going crazy, up. And, and, and the thing is, elevators are very dangerous in housing projects. Like, mm -hmm. I, I have a friend who, who's told a horrible story that, I, honestly, I don't even want to tell it because it is, like, it's one of those, like, shocking, awful things that uh -huh. you can think about. But, yes, even... No, let us never talk about that. Tell me offline. <laughs> I want to be shocked and disturbed. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, it, 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 it's... This movie is bringing horror to a brand new location where it had never been before. Not like Leprechaun in the Hood. <laughs> <laughs> I think where this movie fails, though, is the director, Bernard Rose, is not American. Mm -hmm. um, he's also not black, right? So it's it's it is one of those things where that some of these issues are tackled in yeah. a way that are uncomfortable. There's a lot of stuff that this movie does that's shocking and and progressive. I think the fact that it was actually shot in Cabrini Green, in like the actual they had housing to, project, like they had to actually cast local gang members to keep them yeah. from killing and or stabbing anybody. <laughs> Yes. Like, that is fucking next level bananas, Well, L.A. does that, too, right? Like, I mean, people who have shot hood movies in L.A., like, you have to pay gangs. You pay dues to gangs to be able to shoot there. Man, how come I never got paid to be a ruffian in Richmond to protect people? <laughs> I guess I'm not a ruffian if I'm using the word ruffian. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, before I get too far into it, I think one of the reasons why I did want to expand on the fact that this is a real place is the story of Candyman, um, you know, it is about a guy who was the son of a slave. Well, the, he's not the he's not the main character in it, but he is the main antagonist of the film, right? Mm -hmm. Virginia Madsen is, for all intents and purposes, the star of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things that are that is a little bit awkward is that this guy, this movie really does present kind of like a, it presents its uh, monster as the black brute because it's literally the only thing that's frightening about this guy is he's a big black guy with a deep voice, and that's essentially how well, they play him. What in scared some of the me scenes. was the biggest the fucking fuck off hook. That I've ever <laughs> seen someone have on their bloody stump. And I think... But and I, yeah, actually... And, and Tony I, Todd deserves a ton of credit because I really think he's an amazing actor. He makes the character of Candyman in this. Um, and, and I don't want to take away from anything that he's done. And I'm glad that he is coming back to some capacity in, yeah. the, in the new Jordan Peele produced movie. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's pretty exciting. He actually has a cameo in Scream Season 3 where he plays a hookman killer. Nice. Well... 
He's supposed to be a hookman killer, but he's just a guy that walks around with a hook in his junkyard. He's also in the Final Destination movies as well. He is. He's the coroner that tells all them stupid little college kids how not to die. Oh, also, the first time I actually saw Tony Todd in a movie, he was actually uh, the protagonist. Mm. And that was, he plays the role of Ben in the remake from 1990 of oh. Night of the Living Dead. I didn't know he was in it. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I want to go back to that idea um, of the black brute villain. Maybe later on when we get more into the film and we start sure. talking yeah, about it. Yeah. But, 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 you, do, but you brought up a very interesting point that I want to come back to. I also don't want to make it seem like I'm just like no, 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 all no. over there's it. Lots of, and there's lots of points in this too. Like, I mean, the novella that this is, or the like short story that this is based on by Clive Barker. Like, there's nothing in the short story that tells you that it's a story about a black man, yeah. right? Like, it, it, it's just a monster in, in the story. And it takes place in London. It's, mm -hmm. it's a... This is an adaptation that puts it in a different location and changes the aesthetic. But I will say one of the things that, um, that I wish more filmmakers were cognizant of, or they would at least kind of, you know, at least now in a modern sense, because you can't go back and change this movie, but I think one of the things I wish more directors would do now is kind of, like, acknowledge the fact that when you cast a character of color in a certain role, sometimes, whether intentional or not, it will change the subtext of a film in mm -hmm. a way. Agreed. I think the best example of it is Night of the Living Dead, which I would hope we get to talk about in depth at some point. But the fact that the character of Ben was was the lead and he was a, you know, it was a black actor who was cast as the lead in 1968 in a film. And uh, nobody in the film questions it. It, uh, it allows itself to be something that's very normal, which is what you would want, right? Like, it, it's very progressive in that way when you watch it. However, at the end of that movie, there is... There is stuff at the end of that movie that even the 1990 film changes the ending because of the the way it could be viewed in a more modern sense. But it's very obvious that you're looking at like at uh, at a lot of Jim Crow slavery era imagery when you see how that film ends. Mm -hmm. And which and, I forgot what you we talked about it. I forgot what movie what review we talked about it but i remember us having the same conversation yeah it could have been exorcist or halloween but i know we've talked about the papers that i've written in college God, about that <laughs> no but um you know one thing i wanted to mention is also like you and i were talking about off offline is just kind of like what this movie shows is, like, the importance of oral history within communities. Like, yes. within communities of color, within... Um, just, like, the importance of urban legends, you know? Yeah. You, you and I being Latino, Latin American, we can name a shit ton of fucking, uh, 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 like, urban legends that exist in that, that, that exist in our home, in our motherland. You know, like just in, in, in El Salvador alone, do you remember when our parents would talk about the Siguanava? Oh, I know, I know, I know about like different urban legends and stuff like that. I, what I will say though is, well, like the point, well, the point what I was trying to make is like, or you know, like how when we get here and then you start talking to like people like Mexican Americans, there's like Yorona, there's the Chupacabra, there's all no. kinds of, there's all these urban <laughs> legends, right? Let's not forget that fucking abortion of a movie that they made uh, for Blumhouse <sighs> that is actually the worst Blumhouse movie ever made. Yeah, we're not going to. I would actually argue, you know, <laughs> you know, as, as people who are Hispanic, 
like I would probably argue that the best representation of a Hispanic horror movie is actually marked the, ones. Yeah, it's the yeah. paranormal activity movie. It's so fucking weird. So, so, but so, like the point I was trying to make is just like what this movie does highlight is the importance of oral history in these cultures, and how it becomes a part of our cultural identity. You know, and as you as as you watch uh, Candyman, you see how the urban legend like becomes comes to life, right? You also see how this community that's been like, that's been growing up, that's grown up with this legend of the Candyman, it also reacts to it, and how ultimately they're able to take their, take back their um, their community from the fear of the Candyman. You know. Do you want to know what's really funny? Is I actually feel like they're not even like, I don't feel like they are. I feel like it's just something people live with there. Yeah. It's not even like it's something that they're actively trying to get rid of. And that's what I mean about changing subtext. Yeah. Like, it really does. This movie did at some points feel like a parable of the fact that no, like, bad things happen in, because obviously we grew up in ethnic neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. We are people of color. Nobody cares about what happens in low-income ethnic neighborhoods until a white person shows up, right? Mm -hmm. And that's very much what happens in this movie. Candyman exists before this movie starts mm -hmm. as an urban legend, but it isn't until the main character, who is a white woman, starts to interject herself into this world that she does not understand mm -hmm. that that is when it becomes a greater threat to everyone. I think the only thing that kind of throws it off is something that I really want to get into once we start talking about the film. Well, then let's jump into talking about the film. Yeah. I wish we had like a cutaway music that goes like takes into the movie. <laughs> but the movie introduces us to a graduate student by the name of Helen Lyle, played by... Virginia Madsen. Virginia Madsen, that's exactly who I meant. <laughs> and pretty much she's working with her friend Bernadette, and they are writing a thesis on like the existence of urban legends, right? Specifically, they, they hear about a story of these kids in like rural Illinois that uh, played around with the curse of the Candyman, where uh, this high school girl invited her boyfriend over, well, her boo-thang over, um, she ends up telling him to get out of the bathroom, go hang out somewhere while she gets ready for the sexing that's about to happen between them. And before they can get down to the bone zone, she, you know, invokes the candy man by saying his name five times in the bathroom in the, while looking in the mirror. And then the candy man comes out played by Tony Todd. Uh, like you said, kind of describe, like, you know, just to describe what he looks like, right? <laughs> Really hard not to sound racist when you just his his big qual you know his biggest traits are just he's big black and a hook hand. You yes. know? It, it, it's obviously a case of the fact that it's a very memorable character because it plays in an urban legend. I thought Candyman was a real thing that was in that existed independent of this. Yes, movie. like what you're talking about, like right? Bloody you're, Mary. Ta you're talking about like yeah, you're talking about Bloody Mary. You talk about, like, you know, Mexican folklore and stuff like that. You think that those things are just stories that have been passed on. Candyman becomes kind of a black icon after this movie comes mm -hmm. out. Because growing up in the 90s, like, this movie had already been out. So, 
I thought Candyman was already a pre-existing urban legend. I did not realize that everything that you think of Candyman being actually comes from this film. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of iconography here. It's it's pretty crazy. It's almost like it almost creates its own Mandela effect, right? Yeah. Because it's like you don't remember if Candy if you remember Candyman as the urban legend or Candyman from the movie, right? But pretty much Candyman shows up, kills this girl, and when he disappears, the, the boyfriend finds her body. And this is a really interesting point because it comes up several times, or at least two more times in the movie. But it says that the that the boyfriend ends up going insane from seeing the carnage left behind, and his hair his hair instantly turns white mm-hmm. and ages him. And he ends up getting taken to like an insane asylum. Are we, have we talked about the Ruthie Jean story yet as well? Not yet, because the Ruthie Jean story comes up a little bit later. All right. But pretty much, I mean, we're going right into it. Like, um, you know, so they, so Bernadette and Helen are really, uh, they they feel there's some sort of credence to uh, the the legend of the Candyman. Which then takes them to the housing project Cabrini Green, where they learn about the murder of Ruthie Jean. First, first kind of thing that points out what I'm talking about in that changing someone's ethnicity changes the subtext. The original character of Bernadette was supposed to be played by Virginia Madsen, supposedly, mm-hmm. and, uh, and or at least it was a white character. I don't remember if it was Virginia Madsen that was supposed to play her, and then she ends up becoming the star. I really don't remember. Mm-hmm. But originally, this film was going to be two white women. Going into the projects. I'm glad it wasn't because I like Bernadette. Yeah, and Bernadette is is I mean I this 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 actress I've only seen her in this film and then I saw her play Clarice Starling's best friend in Silence of the Lambs. Is like her career just playing the yeah. best friends of these like horror women, yeah. like white women. <laughs> it's 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 unfortunate, but I am very glad that 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 the sequel remake. Uh, is going to be, or the requel, <laughs> that it is going to be starring, like, black characters. Like, it's going to be much more black-centric. Yeah. I, but I, what I do appreciate about the fact that the character of Bernadette is black is I feel like, I feel like um, Helen is a lot more bold about mm-hmm. what she wants to do. Like, she is very good just interjecting herself where she doesn't belong she is she has she walks around with the confidence all do that of a liberal white woman (laughs) yes and i think what i appreciate is the fact that bernadette being a black woman has a lot more respect and is less interested in kind of exploiting the people in this housing complex i don't like the main character of this film no she it takes a while it's and that's what's really interesting is because this film isn't only her struggle with Candyman as an entity, it's more her struggle with herself as well, like as who she is as a person and mm-hmm. kind of like coming come to terms what she was doing to this community, right? Uh, before they go to uh, Cabrini Green, they are hanging out at um, they're hanging out at um, Helen's apartment, which is like this fucking beautiful high rise condo. Um, com- of course, completely away from, and I, and I love that Bernadette is the character that calls it out, but she calls it out how the, um, it's completely isolated away from the ghetto and it has natural, like, separate, like, you can see the separating lines in- that included the freeway and I forgot what else. Well, she also, uh, Helen also mentions that originally the building that her apartment is in was built to be a project. 
But the reason why it was it, supposed to be Cabrini was, Green. Well, not 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 that it was supposed to be Cabrini Green, but it was supposed to be a housing development. And the problem was it with it was that there was no separation of that building from the rest of the yeah, affluent from like white the nice neighborhood yeah. that was there. And typically, this is uh, you know, it still happens now. You know, I think the only difference is that now neighborhoods are gentrified. But it's just like before, it was like, yeah, we're going to leave you on this side of town, and we're going to be on this side of town. Mm -hmm. And essentially, they wanted to be separated by like a highway, which Cabrini Green is separated by a highway, apparently. And it looks keeps... completely separated, yes. like a, like in it's in its own plane of existence. Right. So, so essentially, they said what happened was this building ended up getting dolled up. And uh, they ended up... Putting... Sold to a bunch of stupid white people. <laughs> yeah. And they ended up, like, you know, redoing the walls and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and they make it, you know, does it... Is, do we really need to go into all of this? Maybe yes. not, but... Yes, we do. And do you know why? Why? Because when she goes up to the medicine cabinet and she pulls it off, she's able to see that... You, you, she can very easily go into the next apartment, right? That is true. Why is this important? Not only because of the story in a little bit. It turns out that that part wasn't made up for this film. Yep. And that's exactly... Ah, you beat me to it! And that was it. And that was it. And that is exactly... I think we. I texted you two days ago, and I was like, I got something for this podcast. Yeah. I got something for go this podcast. Go ahead, take it. You earned it. This is... Uh, that, and, and I will share this on our Twitter page, which we haven't used much at all, but I really... At Do We Like Movies? pod on twitter we bo we both have twitter we're gonna make sure that it gets more love <laughs> yeah we're i really want to use our twitter page to kind of share articles that we have towards this let's put on a true crime hat again that we ended up putting on during zodiac hello the story of ruthie jean is actually based on something that happened in chicago at uh not at cabrini green it was it took place at the grace abbott housing development mm -hmm. which was a different project in chicago but the story uh, from from the Chicago newspaper is they came in through the bathroom mirror. That's so fucking terrifying. And the the, the story is so the character of Ruthie Jean in Candyman is actually based on a real person, Ruthie uh, May McCoy, and she uh, she okay she ends up being murdered by someone who was hiding in the walls of her housing of her housing like development yeah. and. And they pushed, and, and I, and that's essentially why they do the scene in this film, right, where they push the medicine cabinet forward. Yeah. But that's what happened. This, this person pushed forward the medicine cabinet, climbed in through her bathroom, and killed her. And the police, it took the police, I think, a day and a half to even find her when she was dead Holy afterwards. Holy shit, that is terrifying, dude. Yeah. Ugh. So at least for the, for the, um, sake of the film, um... Who was it? It was Helen and Bernadette. They actually go to Cabrini Green to try to investigate the apartment in which Ruthie Jean was killed. Because mm -hmm. they say that she was found in a in her bathtub, I believe. If I remember correctly. Uh, but they also, they also find out that there was 25 other murders that have taken place near Cabrini Green that fit a certain description. Mm -hmm. That have all been credited to the Candyman. So... When I think this is the scene, right, where like Helen starts fucking around, and they, her and Bernadette try to call mm -hmm. Candyman forward. They do it four times. They do it four times because Bernadette pusses out, and I think Helen is the one that does it the fifth time. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I'm the whole time I'm just like, why? Why are you testing fate, dumbass? <laughs> like, why are you doing this? Because I have no reason to be afraid. <laughs> because I get away with everything. <laughs> because I'm literally the most unlikable main character in any movie that we've ever done here. <laughs> oh, I'm Helen. Let me just poke the big stupid ghost that murders people with my hook. Okay, we love Laurie Strode, right? Yes. We we like Dan Laurie Strode in this house. I wasn't crazy about Sidney Prescott. Now you shut your goddamn mouth, Neve Campbell. You know, queen. but I like her. I like Jay from It Follows. I thought she was smart. Yes. Literally the most unlikable slasher heroine still. Like she's just going to keep proving throughout this film that like there's no reason to like her. She has a she has a professor husband who also teaches urban legends, I guess? What if I fucking went to college and told my parents I'm going to major in urban legends, I'd get the shit kicked out of me? What kind of fucking college teaches <laughs> urban legends? I, yeah, I got the impression that, that maybe she, like... That maybe she was a former student of her husband at one point. Oh, yeah. Well, because I really got the impression that he fucks on students. Really? Was it when he was very clearly hitting on his other student in class? In front of his wife? Oh, I was like, wow, this guy's got some fucking big wrinkly balls. I was like, god damn. I was like, both of y'all are unlikable. <laughs> it's like it's one of those few movies where you're rooting for the killer. <laughs> yeah. It's true, because once you actually hear, like, it, it's like, then she has, like... You know, they, they we get to the scene where they end up at Cabrini Green for the first time. Oh they, yeah, 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 they are down in the they're down at the bottom level, and obviously the people who live there are like, who the fuck are these women that are dressed like she's dressed like so not like she nicely says and, she says we're gonna dress conservative to not draw attention to ourselves. Except conservative means wear big-ass overcoats, so these guys automatically assume they're cops. Yes. Which is stupid. I don't understand why they didn't just say, hey, uh, we're social workers. Because guess what? When you go into lower-income areas, people actually like social workers sometimes. Why didn't you just say that yeah. as someone who works with social workers? Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's like they, they go there, the... You know, the gang members will, they call up to the higher levels, like, you know, saying, Hey, yo, cops are here, yeah. yeah. And all that stuff. So, they go up to the, uh, the floor that Ruthie Mae was in. Graffiti, graffiti is so fucking creepy, dude. I fucking yeah. love it. Yeah, and, and, and. The hallways and, are just, like, claustrophobic. And this is, and this uneasy. is really what this place looked like. Yeah. You know, they shot it at the place, and I will appreciate that. That is one of the things that I appreciate about this film, is the tactile reality of They it, had right? the balls to actually film on location bringing people of the community to actually be involved in the filmmaking like that part i can appreciate yeah like taking away all the white white savior white savior complex thing going on in this film yes um, because there is there. a lot of it there's uh, a lot of we're it. gonna get there okay but um at, yes at this <laughs> point they uh they go into ruthie jane uh ruthie jeans apartment and they go in or you know they they go investigate the apartment they go into their bathroom they pop out through the other side of the or i'm sorry no just uh not bernadette um only helen does it because of course she has no problem yeah. just again, fucking around with things she has no bernadette much like the people who live in this project have a healthy respect for what's happening there and are not there to exploit 
Whereas Helen's dumbass yep. is in there to fucking stick her nose into every single piece of this apartment built of this apartment uh whatever right like uh this is space yeah and she's there to take pictures of literally everything this is one of my new favorite tropes in movies <laughs> is when you have uh an odd couple situation where one of them is doing something completely stupid and you have the <laughs> other person just being like why yeah why are you doing this if you don't, if you don't want to know more about what I'm talking about, check out Tropic Thunder and see Robert Downey Jr.'s relationship with Al Pacino, <laughs> where he is in literal blackface, being an idiot, and then Al Pacino's just like, "Why? <laughs> Why are you doing this the entire fucking movie?" Yeah, and so so she goes in. What's really neat is that she does go in through the medicine cabinet opening. And that's where she goes in through the mouth of Candyman. So fucking creepy. And this so cool. Yeah, and this place is obviously... I guess it kind of... It insinuates that maybe he lives there part of the time. It's supposed to be his realm, I guess. Yeah. Where he exists. But the actual apartment of Ruthie Jean is actually probably where people go in to do stuff. Like shoot up yeah, or like do it's, drugs. Or right. Bang. And the thing about Cabrini Green, too, uh, based on the documentary I was watching, is uh, at one point, one of the things that they did to try to make it quote-unquote safer is they, like, pulled a shit ton of police in there to essentially pull out a bunch of people who were quote-unquote squatting. Oh, my God. And it's just... And, and, and so it's like, that's the kind of imagery that we're dealing with here. But whatever, all right? So she goes in. She, we get the jump scare moment where she, like, pops back in on Bernadette. And as they're walking back out into the hallway of Cabrini Green, they see the dog, right? That's mm-hmm. barking. Uh, and the dog is on a leash. Uh, and the dog owner is... Um, Anne-Marie... Anne-Marie. <laughs> Just because I can't... I, think, I don't want to say... Her last name's McCoy, because that feels kind of like... No, Anne-Marie, because McCoy is the real-life uh, Ruthie May. Yeah, but she... <laughs> <laughs> so, let's so, be clear. Well, so, no, uh, her name is actually Anne-Marie, though. Yeah. So, she is a local resident. Oh, it is Anne-Marie Bacoy. You were right. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah. All right, I, I didn't want to just, like, attribute her a random name. <laughs> yeah. And but, she's played she's played by an actress by the name of Vanessa A. Williams. And the cool thing about uh, Vanessa A. Williams is that she's actually coming back in the new Candyman film. Hey, that's pretty good. So, lit. if you watch the trailer and you see the woman who kind of shushes our main character and tells him, don't say that. I wonder why. That's her. <laughs> that Also, oh, that's why it is a requel. Yeah. A seaboot? Yeah. <laughs> it's essentially Halloween 2018, right? Ah, where it's, it's like, like ignore... Yep, well, we're ignore... There's two sequels to Candyman. Well, I mean, were they bad enough to ignore... I would never go back to them. Okay. It's like Hellraiser, right? Like, very much like Hellraiser. I will never go back to... It. I mean... I, Who the main character is Pinhead, as I do, learned. People do like the first th- three movies in the Hellraiser franchise. I'm just not that interested. Yeah. To me, Hellraiser's a classic, and I don't ever need to go back. That's how I feel about Candyman. That's how I feel about Halloween, even. Even though, like, I, I still, like, drool over all the sequels that are stupid. I still, <laughs> I still think that the originals of these films are really all you need. Oh, God. So, after that... <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to make it seem like I'm just, like, steamrolling over what you said. I'm just, like, remembering all the stupid shit that happens with that one. I'll say but, this about about once once we get to, uh, to meet Anne-Marie, is this is the part of it where I kind of... It, again, it, it, it gets... It softens Helen a little bit. It makes Helen a little bit less, like, less unlikable. <laughs> well, what I like is that it just softens, in general, like, the idea of 
the of where they're at. Because mm-hmm. again, like I said, I know people who grew up in projects, like and, and for the I, most part, people who live there are working class people who are just trying to live. Their and Anne Marie says it herself. She goes, "We're not all bad people. Yeah. A lot of us are just people trying to get by." Yeah. And yeah, when you grow up in those neighborhoods, that's kind of, those are you. That's what you realize. Yeah, there's the bad apples, but yeah, of course, there's people that are just trying to get by, and that's all it is. We're just people getting by, right? Um. And yeah, like you said, completely softens the area um, and just reminds you that Briar Green has a little bit of everybody in it. Mm-hmm. Um, later that night, Helen and her husband go hang out with these total fucking college professor oh, tools. Oh my god. It was a bunch so of people. Like, it, it, and, and if they're case, so unlikable, oh, dude. And in case this guy, like, you didn't get the impression that he was a dick like enough they gave him long hair with glasses and he was like balding so he was like balding in the front but he had long hair in the back yeah i was a bullet (laughs) i I listened to a podcast that you know i'll just go ahead and just plug it go ahead fuck this isn't plug other podcasts yeah it's because it's not it's not my bit right it's not my bit on it but i did listen to a podcast called horror virgin which i love and they 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 uh hey, horror version if y'all want to collab let us know <laughs> <laughs> they reviewed this film and, and one of the guys called him like sleazy ben franklin or something like that but what? this guy but this ben guy franklin looks, was sleazy already but this guy it's like yeah like he looks like the sleaziest professor and like both looks of these like guys, he directs porn on the weekend <laughs> both of these guys look like sleazy teachers incorporated hey so <laughs> maddie you want to get some extra credit <laughs> and I, for some reason it's this guy and helen's husband with like helen and bernadette, bernadette. bernadette and it's just there. like and that's when this guy like she essentially like shits all over him because he's like oh who are you doing urban legends and uh, and like all this other like yeah and helen's this... like we're gonna write a paper that shits on your paper yeah. and the other guy was like oh hoity toy <laughs> do you know the origins of Candyman? if you would have you would have read my paper 10 years ago and i'm like <laughs> fuck off it's literally planet. the academic version of well actually <laughs> it, it's just literally a dick measuring contest and i'm just like you both have small ones yeah so, but but he does actually end up telling us a story about it, which again, this is a guy who Candyman was a the son of a slave. Uh, he grew well. The fa- guy, the, his father, no, no, no. His dad like made the, shoes descended, in the Civil yeah. War. So his dad made shoes in the Civil War. Got made a shit ton of money. Was able to buy. I believe was able to buy his freedom along with, and that's why yeah. his da- his son was an aristocrat. So his son like grew up in high society, went to all the best schools, got the best education. Which I, you know, Tony Todd. What I love about him is that the way he plays this character is very regal. Yes, I was Despite about to say the fact that. that the imagery in this film is racist. The performance is hits a good note. The way or, it's or, written and the way he portrays it, there's a very like Shakespearean cadence yeah. to the way he talks. And I really like it because it doesn't make Candyman seem like the bad guy. Right. And and so essentially what happens... Yeah, so essentially what happens is that this guy is... Uh, he was picked by another rich white guy to... Because he was an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, to paint a portrait of his daughter, right? Because this is paint all me like these... one of your French girls. <laughs> yeah, and essentially what happens is he falls in love with the daughter and ends up getting her pregnant, They right? bump uglies. And um, because of that, 
he is like set up to being killed essentially. They they sick the lynch mob on him who do just the most. Like they castrate him, they cut off his arm or they cut off his hand, which and then give him a hook, which is stupid. Like why? And then uh, they end up sicking bees on him. Which I can only think of the scene from Wicker Man. Not that bad. <laughs> but they like cover him in bees, which sting him. And it, you know, as he lays there all fucked up, they set him on fire and they toss his ashes over uh, Briar Green. Right? Right? Is that what it's called? Well, Cabrini Green. Cabrini Green. Cabrini I don't know why he wanted to say Briar. But yeah, know. they keep they, they they throw his ashes over the Glen that's supposed to be Cabrini Green. But apparently, the reason why he died was the it was the the bee stings. The bee stings are what killed him. Really? Yeah, I thought it would have been the castration. Honestly, well, no, honestly, be, no, because they kind of do this thing where later you'll see a. Well, I'll well he castrates somebody later. Spoiler alert on the movie we're literally <laughs> talking about, y'all. <laughs> yeah. So. so yeah, after that, Helen starts having these visions of the Candyman who approaches him, but not in a. Not in a intim well, not not I don't want to say intimidating, but not in a like threatening way. Pretty much, he, she goes into this trance whenever she sees him. Which yes. Apparently, which the tr- the first time she gets into the trance before she gets there is the scene where she does end up going back to Cabrini Green by herself. Oh really? She I runs that was in, after. She runs into the boy in the hallway. Right. Shit. What was his name? J- Jake. Let's see if we can find out because I cannot remember this child's name. Yeah, Jake. Yeah. So, so Jake, she runs into this kid named Jake who's pretty much just hanging out. Yes. And she asks him about, I believe, a little bit more about the Candyman. And he tells this story, and it goes back to what I said earlier, Yeah. about uh, this little boy that um, I think he didn't listen to his mom or whatever it was, and he ended up using the, the, the public restroom outside of Cabrini Green. And while he's in there, he supposedly... Invokes the Candyman, mm-hmm. who ends up not killing him, but castrating him. Yes. And it's very awful to watch, because this kid's junk is like... All been... just on the bathroom, just mangled as shit. The, supposedly, this, one of the toughest dudes in Cabrini Green runs over to like try to check on the kid, and comes back, hair white, completely hysterical, bawling his eyes out. So again, it's the this weird supernatural effect that um, that uh, Candyman has on people, not just on the on the, his victims, but people around his victims. Right. You know? So this story instantly makes her go downstairs to the to the, <laughs> the lobby area to go where this happened. Um, that bathroom was gross, disgusting. They wrote with shit. With I'm assuming literal shit. It looks like shit on the I was wall. Like, I was like, I could like just seeing it. I could smell it, and I yes. was like. Bruh. I've been in yes, I have been in bathrooms like this. Same. I have been in places like this. This is what it's like. For those of you who have not experienced it, surprise. It reminded me when I when we used to work for the recreation department. And we used to go into like the... the you remember those unlocked bathrooms down at the park where like yeah. people would go do all kinds of weird shit in? <laughs> it was one of those bathrooms and I was just like, oh god. <laughs> not again. <laughs> and you know, they, there's like people wrote and shit like sweets to the sweet. And as... Like, Helen goes into the stalls, she kicks open one of the toilet seats, and you just see this, 
this beehive, like this, like just a bunch of bees just in this toilet. She freaks out. She ends up closing it. And as she's ready to leave, this other, this group of like gangsters come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they try to, they, they stop her from leaving. And she keeps telling them, you're making a big mistake. I'm just trying to leave. Um, <laughs> one of the, one of the guys ends up grabbing a hook and, or he walks in with the hook and he tells her, I heard you looking for the candy man, bitch. Yeah. And as she tries to run away, he fucking just knocks her out. Clocks with a, her. Yeah, yeah. With a fucking hook. Yeah. And they end up leaving. They end up, they end up beating her and, uh, they leave her there. Uh, the, I think Jake calls the police or someone calls the police. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like all of a sudden it cuts to like, you know, a police lineup and it, and yeah, it cuts to the police lineup and it reminded me that scene in a Bronx tale when, um, when, oh, yeah. uh, Robert De Niro's son sees the murder and then like the cops go grab the kid and we're like, did you, did he do it? Did he do it? Yeah, it's like, because hell is just standing in front of this lineup. It's like here, why don't you snitch? Like that. snitch all you want. <laughs> and so she ends up, you know, pointing out the guy who apparently is one of the like tougher guys in 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 the projects, one of the more feared guys in that project. And apparently, he adopted the Candyman name to get more street uh, street cred, get more mm-hmm. clout in the neighborhood, so people could fear him. Um, when Jake asks her about it, she tells him the Candyman isn't real. It was just a man hiding behind the name and the legend. Yes, which obviously he and most of the people in Cabrini Green know that there is a mythical figure there. Uh, that they all just kind of leave. It fe- like it feels to me like they all just leave it alone. Like they don't my, get involved in it. No, my thing is, I think the way I took that scene was that. Because they all believe in the Candyman. In having the Candyman, this kid arrested, is, um, it it made everyone be like, oh, maybe the Candyman wasn't real. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, whether he's real or not, they go about their lives the same, right? Um, because as we learn in the next scene, she, the Candyman is very much real, (laughs) And she and Helen ends up getting confronted when in this uh, parking garage. In this parking garage, which which okay, I kind of really want to get through this this way because I don't want to confuse people who are listening to us describe it and maybe haven't seen the movie. I don't know why you would listen to us if you haven't seen it, but just in case, pause now and go watch it. It's only an hour and a half. Like don't yeah, do after shit. after she kind of like consoles this kid, which you know she's probably compromised his life. For That's the first time. thing I thought. I'm like, exactly. he is going to be known as a snitch, yes. and he might not make it to his next. And person. just the way she like tussles his head, like it's just there's something very condescending. Good job, sport. There's something very condescending and awkward about the way that she talks to him. That I'm just like, it's I'm like not Pete totally Carroll talking with. to his <laughs> stepson. I'm just not. I'm just not comfortable with it, right? Yeah. But but after that scene. That's when uh, it smash cuts to a month later because you see that her like black eye has now healed, and I think it's supposed to be like a month or something. It's, it's, a, it's at a, least a couple days. There's a, a passage weeks. of time, and um, at that point, I guess like th- now they want to get her work published because she ended up putting this other guy behind bars. Yep. And that's right. That's right. That's right. That's and they right. end up thinking of this as being like you know the oh well, this is what's going to give us our big break. It started off as an urban legend thing, and now it turned into us solving a true crime. 
It's mm-hmm. kind of like that Beware Slenderman or whatever yeah. uh, film that came out. It was like, it's an urban legend that turned into an actual heinous crime that happened. That now, like, you know, we're going to get famous because we reported this. And that's when, that's when Candyman finally starts appearing to Helen for the first time is when she's in the parking garage. And he shows up. Finally, we got to this scene. Sorry. It's just, I really like this scene, too. Because Helen goes into this trance, which apparently Virginia Madsen was actually put, like, she was hypnotized for. And apparently, like, they had a trigger word to pull her out. Like, it was very deep hypnotism, whether you Mm -hmm. believe it in her or not, neither here nor there. Um, but apparently it made her so uncomfortable that she, uh, she, she told them to stop, like, halfway through filming. She just felt uncomfortable, she didn't like it anymore. But supposedly this is the first scene where she's, like, put under in her, uh, trance-like state, was her being hypnotized, and it's like... Whether it's real or not, so she eerie. sells it. She does. Yeah. She, like, the acting in this scene, we're not one to talk about amazing acting in horror movies, the acting in this scene between Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd is fucking fantastic. Yes. The sound of his voice is like running water. It's so smooth. And then it's smooth, but then it's like they have it uh, running through a fucking, I don't know, modulator or some shit. So it sounds eerie, but somehow like... But what I like about it is You still feel that, comfortable. What I like, like about it is that most of it is Tony Todd's voice. And he just has like, there's this, there's this quality to his voice to where... I was listening to this with headphones on, yeah. to where you can feel it like in the back of your head somehow. Yeah. It's just like some, like yeah, some people have like the ability to make, to 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 with to have such an octave with their voice. That yeah, like it, Billy Dean Williams, you know, that, like. that, that it just well, not just that, but I mean, like again, watching the trailer for the new requel, what's it called? Um, <laughs> we got to come up with a really better name. Requel sounds gross, <laughs> but the like in in the trailer for that. What's it called? Um, it it sounds more like a traditional. Now we're just deepening somebody's voice and making it more and making it more bass heavy. So yeah. I feel like it's it's not gonna have the same effect as this. No, the there's pick, only one Tony Todd. That's for damn sure. Fun fact. Another fun fact about this movie is that originally uh, Eddie Murphy was gonna be the guy who played Candyman. <laughs> oh, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Which I think. <laughs> well, hey, yeah. Helen. Well, you gotta make people afraid of me again. I'll, 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 I'll say this much. I mean, like, <laughs> I haven't seen vampires in Brooklyn or whatever the fuck. Well, no. I mean, besides that, I, I think if you watch the original Beverly Hills Cop, like there there are scenes, there are movies where Eddie Murphy has you know, has gone against, has gone against type of playing Eddie Murphy as a character, right? Yeah, it was, like, bro- he is one of those guys, like, like, Will now Smith, he just, yeah, like, now Will Smith he just or plays, The Rock, yeah. or Arnold Schwarzenegger, to where anytime you see him in a movie, or Bruce Willis, yeah, yeah, it's him uh-huh. playing this character, but I do glad, I am glad that they picked somebody who wasn't, who, you know, who was not that well known, I feel like part of it had to have been some sort of budgetary thing. Because Eddie Murphy in the 80s and early 90s, this guy was He was money. coming off of fucking another 48 hours with Nick Nolte and the fucking Beverly Hills Cop, like, trilogy. Like, yeah, he was probably going to be worth a shit ton of money. Yeah. So, and again, Tony Todd just fits this a whole lot better. And Tony Todd apparently is a lot taller. The guy's like 6'3 or 6'5. And that's what's fantastic is he's so physically imposing without being anywhere near any other character. Yes. And so he, pretty much he sets out this, um, he sets out this warning that she, that people are no longer afraid of him and that she will, she, or he will claim her soul if 
people will no longer believe in him. And so he's going to start, uh, what was it? That he's going to start spilling innocent blood. Mm-hmm. I believe this is the scene where she like blacks out and yes. wakes up in Anne-Marie's apartment. Yep. Covered in blood, holding like a fucking butcher knife. And then you find out that Amory's uh, son, uh, Anthony, is missing. missing. Her dog's been decapitated. Yeah. Also, the the funny thing, we're going to keep going back to this trailer, but her her son is a... There is a theory out there that her son is actually going to be the star of the new movie. That Anthony is going to be the main character? That, 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 he, that, that grown Anthony is the star of that. And I love that this... I love that this scene deposits... Um, deposits the fact that... It, it, it adds that wonder. Is it Helen that actually snapped? Or did the Candyman actually do this, you know? Yeah. And that pretty much becomes a running thread for the rest of the film, is how much of this is Helen, how much of this is Candyman. Obviously, it's Candyman, but I think it does enough to, like, put that doubt in, not in the viewer's mind, right? The other thing that this does in social commentary is the moment that a white woman is involved in 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 a injury or event that took place at Cabrini Green, this, this other Candyman killer was finally arrested... The same, when a white woman is involved in some sort of crime that's happening, when I saw those cops come in, I was wondering if the person that they were going to go after was Helen or if it was going to be Anne-Marie. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a, it, it's unfortunate. That, well, that's that, why, that that's why Helen had to have the like. knife. Yes. That's why Helen held on to the knife, so you know that they, that's the one they go after. Right. And and, and that's the thing. It, it's So she, she ends up getting arrested now she's in a police uh, station, and the same detective, detective that her, yes, yeah. who was a lot nicer to her when you know when she was the victim of something, is now turned against her. And I think uh, they, there was there, there was a, another article that I read where they talked about how like one of the readings that you could take out of this movie was, is that uh, <laughs> is that this movie could be a parable for what can happen to a white woman when she starts a relationship with a black man, meaning that she lo- that it's about the loss of white female privilege. I don't know how true that is. I'm just saying... That, this, that's... This that's film, pull, you better this stretch film, if you're gonna... Yeah, pull, this, like, this, you film, know? this film, it sparks a that's ton of a debate. Stretch, and I yeah. think that's the point of all of this. But I mean, I, I can <laughs> see, I guess, I do not agree with... I, I'm not gonna say I don't agree the best with that either. Day. And I'm not I'm gonna not, say that I'm I agree... Not, I'm just kind of throwing these things out there because, again, this is the horror movie that we watched on this show that I think what I like about it is that there are so many different readings that come out of it. And I can see how I you... want to, and, and if we ever get to the uh, paranormal activity marked ones, which I am going to campaign that we need to do that soon. What do you mean campaign? I let you pick whatever movie you want. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, I think it's... It, it's Yes, again. I don't think that is a... Sh- okay, it's really hard because it is a shitty take. I don't want to say it's that shitty of a take, but it is quite a reach. Yes, it's a I'm reach. N- it's definitely not something I would come up with. No, no, no. <laughs> but that being said, um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting to see how, how... Everyone turns on her. The cops, like, there's one detective that's like, you're fucking sick. Yeah. When they're talking about, where's Anthony, you know? She's very, she's very clearly a villain now to when, everyone else. While she's... Her oh, husband, no. her husband seems to show some sort of unconditional love for her but you know he's cheating on her yeah like it, this movie makes it very clear that he's fucking on somebody else while he's dealing with her because even while she's going through 
recovered from a black eye and like you know maybe recovering from a mental breakdown or being in a situation that you shouldn't have been in what's it called he's still like coming home from work late <laughs> work i know in quotations because he's obviously just fucking on his students so i believe at this point she gets bailed out yes and they take her back home mm-hmm and she's just kind of like, you know, trying to recover from everything. And I believe this is where she gets confronted by the Candyman again. Mm-hmm. And in the mirror this time. In the mirror. Fucking terrible. The awesome scene of just the hook, like, punching through the medicine cabinet. So fucking Iconography. Crazy, Iconography. I, I, I hope that the new film has something like this, or at least a callback to this. Because this really is the most famous scene of that film. He ends up stabbing her in the neck. and Not enough to kill her, but enough to, like, that. she's, like, leaking blood. Yes. And Bernadette comes just in time as she's being attacked, as Helen's being attacked by Candyman. Which Helen is trying to, like, tell her to leave. She's trying to scream, but she can't because of the blood gushing out of her neck. And so uh, Candyman lets Bernadette in and ends up, and you don't see it, is the worst part. You don't see what's happening, but you just hear Tony Todd fucking grunts as he, like, stabs her and fucking, like, rips her to shreds with the hook. And then you don't see it until the aftermath mm-hmm. when she, you know, Helen wakes up, she's covered in blood. Um, and then, uh, like, the police are there. No, 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 no. She was handcuffed to a bed. When she finally wakes up, they lead her out of the apartment. Uh, her husband, Trevor, I think is his name. He's just, like, beside himself, has no idea what to make of the situation. They walk by Bernadette's corpse. She's just, like, ripped in half. Just from, like, I think the term he uses is gullet to groin. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, my God. There's nothing more humbling than seeing somebody turn to gore like that. Um, she ends up getting taken back to prison or back to jail. Um, and well, it, yeah, it, it, she's in a mental asylum. Well, no, what I was going to say is one of the, those things is she goes through that very dehumanizing moment where they, like, make her take her blood-covered clothes off. Yes. And the entire time she's just, like, asking for any sort of empathy and the cop's like... Okay, now remove your panties. Yes, <laughs> it, is, it is the one. It is the one moment of the film where I do, where I do. You feel, feel for, her, yes. yeah, but I, like, time. and this movie does have that complexity about it, to where even though I talk about how much she's like my least liked character that I've ever seen lead a horror film, this this scene and there are other scenes in the film, like when she goes back home after she escaped. Like, yeah, there are scenes that humanize her enough. That I'm like, okay, I'll go with it. That's why it's her character, and arc, this is just right? harsh, yeah. Like, and 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 I think it's harsh because you know that, like, this is really what people who go to prison like have to deal with. So she ends up getting taken to this uh, mental mental ward, this asylum, right? Where, of course, no one ever believes her. She gets taken to see the psychiatrist, the lead psychiatrist, who shows her clips of hallucinations she was having, where she was confronted by the Candyman. Because they have that fucking awesome scene where she's just lying in bed and then just Tony Todd's just like floating above her, just like antagonizing her. Yes. I was like, this is fucking fantastic. It's awesome. It felt like something out of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And then the orderlies come in and he just like hides under the bed and she's like, he's under the bed. And then you know that you replay it, but you replay the same scene without Tony Todd in it. So she just looks insane. It's like, fuck, dude. It's so good. Yeah. 
So she she tells this guy, I can I can I can call him. I can And conveniently him. enough, inside the psychiatrist's office, there's a medicine cabinet mirror. <laughs> and I'm just like, why? You know what's gonna happen. Why are you gonna invoke Well, I think him? she's doing it because she really wants someone to believe her. She's Stupid. desperate for someone to believe her. At yeah, this well, point. she he the fucking psychiatrist doesn't believe him because she's dead now. <laughs> but they do that they do that scene where it's like she calls on him and nothing happens, and then you just hear fucking wet something wet like d- sharp going into something with that sickening. Well, you thud, see the hook, right? yeah, and then just, it just rips through the yeah. guy and just. Yeah, and then like I'm like you, you should have seen that coming though. Yeah, <laughs> dumbass. And essentially, she's able to escape because she takes the clothes of an orderly and like just escapes out of an. Elevator. I love how Tony talks. I love how Candyman, like when he leaves, he's just like ta ta and jumps out the window, and he just like fucks off. So she ends up escaping, like you said, takes like a nurse's uh, uniform and goes to confront Trevor and finds out, mind you, this has been only a month since Bernadette's murder. Yes. One thing I want to point out is this movie kind of fucking subverts. There's time jumps. Yeah, it subverts the normal like horror narrative that usually takes place in a very short amount of time where this this movie takes place over the course of at least two months. And that's what's really interesting about it with all these time jumps. So, Helen goes to confront her husband, finds out that in the, over the course of a month, he's already, like, moved in the new chick who was the student that he you can totally tell he was fucking on in the beginning of the movie. And they're, like, repainting the house, or the apartment, <laughs> to, like, this weird fucking bubblegum uh, pink. It fucking looks like... It looks like a like they want to turn it into. It looks like a Lisa Frank fucking. Like, <laughs> it just looks like, like they want to turn it. Into, it really looks like they want to turn it into a tacky hair salon, like kind of like. Yeah, paint. it just. And looks, I guess I don't know if it's just like it's, it's something it, a young twenty-something-year-old college chick in the nineties, or it's something that this director thinks that a young twenty-year-old. college Oh yeah, the like. you know the American college girls they love the color pink. What is uh, this accent? I'm assuming he's German. All your accents are awful. Oh, no. No, no, shut up. You like to party. Oh. My name is Hans. Stop, please. <laughs> they give me Hans. Stop. <laughs> Alright, back to the movie. Well, when she goes in to, to, to confront to confront this girl and, and her husband, I thought that Helen was actually going to run to the bathroom and start saying Candyman. <laughs> get him in, get him in, get him in. <laughs> like, so he could come in and murder yeah. everyone. Like, this chick is obviously fucking terrified of her when she walks in. And she, she All she says is, who are you? And this girl, like, starts, like, She's crying. hysterical instantly. And, like, obviously, well, obviously, right? Like, this woman has killed people to, in their eyes. So, like, she's the most dangerous person they know. Yeah. <laughs> And for you to know that you've been fucking on her husband, like, you know, you I love, I love when Trevor comes in and he goes, call the hospital. Like, he makes, he tries to make her call the hospital. (laughs) Well, I think, I think this was weird, because to me, I thought this was a scene where she kind of starts, uh, where she, this is where she kind of is ready to start coming to Candyman, because she had this, like, weird smile on her face. And again, I thought she was going to summon him, but that's not what she does. Uh, she ends up, like, throwing paint against the wall and leaves, right? Well, also, it's important to note this entire time, Candyman... Candyman pretty much levels with her that if she gives herself to him, he will release Anthony. Because he has Anthony. So her whole thing now 
is less about survival and more about saving the kid. Mm. So she... But I think a lot of it is about saving herself, too. Like, there's a reason she goes to her husband first before she goes to the housing project. I don't know. She wants, and, she wants to feel safe. Well, she wants to salvage something from her old life, right? And then this is the moment where she realizes that there's nothing left for her now. Bernadette's, Bernadette's gone, gone. Her career is done. Her, her husband's, husband's gone. gone. Yeah. Like, she, she's likely going to be in prison if she ends if she up gets not caught. doing yeah. it. Yeah. So, so this is where she's ready to she, finally go back. And, and save Anthony, right? Yeah. So she goes back to wait. Remind me what it's called. Cabrini Green. I keep wanting to say Briar. I don't know. You why. need to get this. We said it like a million times in this podcast. Up. It's my. If show. I had a ticker on this, it'd probably be at a hundred by now. Yeah. Shut the. F- <laughs> I'm gonna fucking sock you in your chest. <laughs> you know. Don't let me misname things. You don't let me do my stupid accents. What can I do? So she runs to Cabrini Green. Uh, so she ends up running back. And, oh, shit, we never brought up the fucking, the pyre in the middle of the courtyard, remember? Like, when she walks past it with Jake, and he's like, and she's like, what's that for? And Jake just honestly says, oh, it's for a party? Mm-hmm. So, the, it's yeah. like, it's like a bunch of shit that, it's like a bunch of, like, chairs, trash, essentially to start a big-ass bonfire, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, Helen runs into Cabrini Green. Goes back up into Ruthie Jean's apartment. Goes into, I guess this is Candyman's apartment now. <laughs> yes. Well, because once you get through the mirror, that's when you're in Candyman's lair. Candyland. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so, right. As she enters Candyland, she um, you know, she finally gives herself to to over to him. And we get that fucking disgusting scene where he opens his coat and just um, millions of bees. Yeah, he opens his, his coat and it's ribs with like bees, bees inside of his anatomy, which will freak you out if you're anyone who like can't stand looking at like exposed body parts. And as he picks her up, he gets these bees in his mouth, which he then shoots through his mouth into her mouth. Which Tony Todd had to wear a mouth guard, obviously, so that he wouldn't swallow any of these bees. Do you hear the that he was paid a thousand dollars for every bee sting he received in the scene? <laughs> I did hear that. And I think yeah. he made like he got stung like twenty three times. <laughs> So he made twenty three thousand dollars from this scene. Secure your bag. I don't care how you do it. I don't care how many bees sting you. Look at you. Call the hounds on me, or the hounds with the bees that when they that when they bark they shoot bees at you. It made me think of the mummy when Emotep opens his jaw and shoots locusts. In his mouth. Like I kind of want him to shoot bees. Yeah. And say he just kind of vomits them. Or like when we were watching Exorcist Two and all the locusts were there too, and we were like hoping that. What like, is it with these movies shooting bugs out of your mouth? Shooting bugs is awesome. That would be a superpower I want. That's like the lamest superpower. Let me pull out my bug cannon. So <laughs> it just pukes fucking earthworms. <laughs> like the worst fucking bugs you can shoot. Ugh. Oh man, so after she shoots him with... Or I'm sorry, after he shoots her with bees. After he mouth shoots her with bees. <laughs> so they teleport to the middle of this... Fucking... Oh, good. The, the the thing that he does say before he actually kisses her uh, when he tries to get her to join him is, Be my victim. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Did he really say that? Yeah. I do not remember that. Yeah. 
Even in the new trailer, he'll say, be my victim. Oh, my fucking Be God. my victim. And then he turns into a bee. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, during this time, Jake wakes up, and he feels like the Candyman's back. So, he grabs, like, this torch, and yes. him and a bunch of members of um, the housing project uh <laughs> cabrini green thank you <laughs> end up running out and start pouring gasoline all over this what's essentially gonna be a funeral pie i do appreciate <laughs> that uh i do appreciate that he's essentially <laughs> that jake is essentially the uh dr loomis of this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this little six-year-old kid he's the guy who's been planning for this <laughs> And He's the one that has guns up. for psychology. <laughs> so he shows up. They start like pouring gas and then lighting a fire. So the the thing goes up in flames. Uh, Candyman teleports him, Ellen, and Anthony into the middle of it. And my understanding is Candyman has the entire. Um, he has the whole intention of killing everyone in Cabrini Green, and he was going to use the fire to do it. I don't know why I had this understanding. Did, uh, was there anything that said otherwise, or am I just crazy? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think it was just to kill the kid. That's what I felt. I okay. felt it was just to burn the kid. Anyway, so they wanted to burn the kid. Um, Helen ends up using. Uh, she ends up. How, fuck! How did it play out? This is where I got a little confused. She go, oh, she runs into the. Uh, she hears Anthony crying. Yes, right? she runs into the fire. So to she save runs into him. the fire to save him. And as she's leaving, that's when her hair catches on fire, and, and she ends up stabbing Candyman with his with a hook. Yeah. So he ends up getting caught in the fire and burns. He's alive? left. Yeah, he's left to burn, and she's the one who escapes the fire. And to be honest, I think. For some reason, this ghostly f- visage that they're in, they're able to be seen by certain people. But I guess they're also, like, vulnerable to fire. Because Candyman is, quote-unquote, killed in this situation. And um, and Helen, it, as she's escaping, can also light fire and injure herself. Well, that's what's really weird, right? It's because the whole thing is that now she is immortal. Yeah. But it can play off the idea that if you're a legend, you become immortal because people remember you upon your death, right? Yes, and then the people, I guess, because she saved this kid, like now revere her, and yeah. they and they use their coats to like you know put the fire out over her head. Uh, she saves the kid. She gives and, Anthony back to Anne Marie, and she, and she, now she dies. Yeah, yeah, so she dead. <laughs> yeah, and then that they they show an open casket funeral where she still has her like you know scalp that's all charred up but they the cover it with flowers so she's fine yeah and uh for some reason all the people of cabrini green a la schindler's list like show up to like leave have some sort of like goodbye ceremony to her at her funeral. i think it was a cool shot and i thought it was <laughs> i thought it was cool but the it reason makes sense to me not totally i mean to me it did make sense because she helped she helped this community and this is what i was talking about like, they've been living in fear of Candyman for a while, and she helped this community fight back. That's true. Because at the end of the day, it was Jake that set the fire. And I think, she- I think the other thing that happens, too, is not only does she remove Candyman from Cabrini Green, she is also now going to be the one haunting 
the rich she. white people project. <laughs> <laughs> because literally after the funeral, we get the scene where her ex-husband, Trevor, and his new girlfriend, and I forget her slam name. Slam piece. <laughs> Who like She's a total bitch this whole scene. Like she's mad that he's fucking grieving the loss of his ex-wife. Um, and she's also, you know, for some reason, just so that they can make her more unlikable in the eyes of a viewer. Fucking which, no bra. And yes. Just, like, I'm, they were like, here, how can we make her look sluttier than ever? And oh, like, look. Her, her fucking nipples are, like, jabbing through her shirt. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this doesn't really make her unlikable. I don't understand. No, this, man. This I hate her so much. Show me more. This is very ridiculous. Yeah, I was like, this is pretty reductive but okay i was like he's the one who's a pig but all right and and, uh, he, and all of us then enjoyed that shot we're also pigs <laughs> and then he so then we have uh, trevor in the bathroom sitting on the toilet with stupid. pants up Fucking and he's just like ass. yeah we're now he's grieving out loud because he's having flashbacks to you know the wife that he decided to cheat on and totally fuck off forever yeah and <laughs> and while he does that, he starts saying the name Helen into the mirror. Doesn't he's, realize what he's doing because he's a big jackass. I think he at the first he doesn't, but then at some point he does. He'll say it three more like the the last two or three times that he says it is when he gets. It's up a little bit more, yeah, a little bit more purpose. Right. All of a sudden, the lights cut out, and then she shows up with a hook in her white nightgown, which is pretty frightening, and uh, she ends up murdering the living shit out of him. From gullet to groin. <laughs> and uh, after he does that, that's when, I guess her name is Stacy, right? Yep. Is that it? Yeah, she, she comes in. Stacy comes into the room, sees Trevor mega dead in the bathtub, and then all of a sudden we smash cut back to Candyland, mm. where we now see, <laughs> where we now see a, like... <laughs> Portrait of her as some sort of Christ-like figure as credits are rolling. Well, no, that's not really that she's Christ-like. It's supposed to be her hair burning. Oh, okay. So it's more that she's like a banshee. Oh, okay, well. Which is white people ghosts. Yeah. Well, Irish white people. <laughs> All right, Point well. is, she's got, now she has two hooks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our film. And I think the only thing to ask is, do we like Candyman? Despite the fact that I've ragged on certain parts of this movie, I actually really like this movie. I yeah. I very much appreciated the fact that we watched it. This is a movie that I watched once a very long time ago. I have not watched it in so long that I really don't that I really didn't remember a lot of it. Yeah. Um it was nice to come back to it and then realize that there are pieces of this movie that I really appreciate. There are things about this movie that I don't like as much. Mm -hmm. But we're going to get this story again soon. And it's going to be done, I think. I think it's going to be all the better for it. Because the, I feel like some of the themes of this movie are are just... They are, um, they are great for exploring. And honestly, I like I said before the podcast started, I think this newer version is really going to kind of explore a lot of the themes of gentrification. Because Cabrini Green is now, like, where that old project was, this is now a gentrified neighborhood, and the main character in that film is an artist in that gentrified area of Chicago. Which, mm -hmm. as you and I both know, as people who see parts of San Francisco and Oakland, a lot of neighborhoods where people grew up in that we knew, you know, have now been 
priced out into other places in the Bay Area, and these neighborhoods that were considered undesirable for decades are now, well, we're going to make this neighborhood better, and here's my art gallery in this fucking warehouse where, like, nobody fucking wanted to be before. Meanwhile, we got Teen Titans Go telling us to all move to Stockton, California. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's you know, I, I think there's a lot of... There's a lot of really good themes to explore, and I'm glad we're going to get this story again, and I'm glad we're going to get it by the people we're going to get it by. So, I do like this film. Alright, so, yeah, I agree. I like this movie. A lot of very interesting themes. I honestly feel Helen was made unlikable as a conscious choice. I actually don't think it's conscious. I think the director thinks that he was making her very likable. Nah, I have but a feeling... I think that there's, I, I think there's a level of tone deafness. I have a feeling it lends itself now that it's a conscious choice because of the fact that... Because of what I was saying about like what I, what I chose to take away from this movie, right? Mm. In that she... It, ultimately, it was Cabrini Green itself that was able to take on... Mm-hmm. Candyman, and they were the ones that able, were able to put a stop to Candyman, which I feel is, especially with the new film coming out, the new Candyman is going to be just as important of a lesson to learn, is that these are our stories, we're the ones that can take control of them, right? Yeah, there can be supporting people, there can be people that can launch things into, into uh, be the catalyst of certain change and certain actions, but ultimately it's the people that created these stories that have a chance to do something about it um honestly yeah a lot of iconography here fucking tony tall was fantastic i thought he did an amazing job like to this day he is still gonna be known as the candy man mm. um you watch you you see him in any you see him in any cameo he always has a hook yeah. that he will never be able to escape it and i love that he's just fully bought in you know, ultimately, this is a fun movie, and if you're gonna be uh if you're gonna be a horror nerd, uh, or if you just love movies, it's definitely worth checking out. At and before once. this new movie comes out, you definitely have to go back and, and then watch two and three, and be cool with bees and shoot bees out of your mouth. <laughs> I'm never gonna watch two and three. Nah, go watch two and three, you shits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so we like thank you guys for joining us for this episode. We hope you appreciate you know the kind of sudden shift that we had to make. Uh, and into something interesting like this. Oh, it, no. This is very. I didn't watch James Bond. How <laughs> terrible! This was the right week to do it because obviously this movie is on a lot of people's minds after last week. So I'm glad we got to discuss it at the right moment. I cannot wait for this new movie, and I can't wait to see what we're gonna be reviewing next because what we're gonna be doing now is we're gonna do a few more James Bond films, and then the series is gonna go on hiatus until this until September. So it's uh, the next film that we're gonna cover is Moonraker, Fuck. <laughs> and then we're gonna just uh, the next Bond movies we're gonna do after that are gonna be the two Tim- Timothy Dalton Bonds, and we'll get to Pierce Brosnan in September. Not gonna lie, y'all, this is starting to feel like pulling teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we hope you guys join us for the return of our James Bond series. Um, and just continue to join us for all the other films that we're going to cover leading up to more James Bond for the rest of this year. <laughs> My fucking God. So please continue interacting with us on social media on our Instagram at Do We Like Movies Pod. Start interacting with us on Twitter at Do We Like Movies Pod. Uh, please leave us reviews on iTunes. Uh, that tell that where you can tell us what we think of the what you think of the show, so we know what we're doing right. 
We know what we can improve on. Yeah, and tell also, us if you think we suck. Tell us we suck, and then I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll go to your house and we'll fight. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for joining us. I'm happy. <laughs> Later, turns. <laughs>